Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everyone, welcome back to Across the Romaverse. I'm back with our usual crew of Jimmy and Brandon back after our uh, interview episode last week. Um, so we're going back to our usual format, listener questions. Uh, you know, if you missed last week's episode, Wayne Gerard, definitely worth the listen if you like tactics. But uh, Brandon, you're back after a few weeks. How are you doing tonight? Yeah, I'm good. I hope the listeners miss me. I know maybe a few of them did not, but uh, <laughs> no, I've been doing good. Uh, happy that we finally got a win, but I am already terrified for Saturday. Yeah, we'll definitely get into that a little bit later. Definitely good thing we got back on the winning track. Jim, I know you're recuperating yourself like many Roma players. So how are you doing today? Yeah, I'm a little under the weather today, but, uh, you know, nothing stops the train of the podcast recording. So let, let's get to, right to it. All right. So uh, just, uh, you know, we haven't recorded together since Roma's last two matches. They actually ended up winning the uh, Europa Conference League group. Thanks to some help from Zoria. Bodo Glimt got tripped up by Zoria, the Ukrainian side. Roma got the win against Seska Mo- uh, Sofia. I almost always call him Seska Moscow for some reason, but Seska Sofia. And uh, they win the group. So that helps Roma avoid an extra two matches in February in the playoff round against uh, Europa League uh, drop-down teams. Uh, definitely a good thing when we know how congested Roma's schedule can be. And then, yes, uh, two days ago now, we're recording on Wednesday. On Monday, Roma beat Spezia on the Monday night football action in the Peninsula. It was goals from two defenders, two center backs, Chris Smalling, assisted by Tammy Abraham, and a goal by Rodri Banez, both off of corner kicks. Um, uh, Two-nothing win for Roma's uh, you know, desperately needed after the losses to Inter and Bologna, kind of uh, get Roma back on the right track, moves the Giallarossi back up to sixth in the table. Uh, and, you know, things aren't as dismal as they were looking just because this was a weekend when a lot of teams had matches against bottom half sides. Uh, Milan slipped up to Udinese, Napoli shut up by Empoli at home, uh, Juve tripped up in Venice by Venezia. So I guess we're not the only big team to go to Venezia and kind of uh, stumble a bit. And, uh, you know, it was also Lazio losing another or dropping points to Sassuolo. Yeah, losing that one 2-1. So, you know, Inter now top of the table, 40 points. Milan, 39. Uh, Atalanta, Saturday's opponent, now third on 37. They are riding quite the hot streak. Napoli has dropped to fourth on 36. Fiorentina still playing well under Vicento Italiano, even playing maybe a bit better now on 30. And then it's Roma on 28 level with Juve. So Roma still a bit off of fourth place, but certainly closing the gap a little bit I mean that has to have you guys feeling a little bit better heading into the weekend and maybe into Christmas break right if Roma can keep it within you know single digits I guess of Napoli yeah for sure I definitely think that you know if there's anything we've seen from Serie A this season it's that the top let's be honest 10 is uh pretty tight uh the top half of the table there's not too much separation especially when you're thinking about like fifth through tenth place so I would say that there's, you know, reason to be optimistic for Roma heading into the January Mercato. And if they are able to pull off the right moves, um, there's reason to be even more optimistic. Um, and the other thing is, you know, it does appear that the uh, 
patented Luciano Spalletti uh, falling apart in the winter is is about to be happening. So, you know, I, I even think that top four might be pretty up for grabs by the time that we roll around to February or March. Yeah, that Napoli side decimated by injury of late. Uh, Anguissa, Koulibaly, Osiman, Insigne, Ruiz. So Spalletti's winter swoon uh, is certainly coming a little bit sooner than usual. Brandon, how are you feeling about Roma after this week? Uh, well, I like generally where we are. I'm like I mentioned already, I'm terrified for Saturday. I think, frankly, they're going to destroy us just because that seems to be how this rivalry has gone the last few matches. I think we haven't won against them since um, Kolarov's first match, was it, where he had that free kick goal or is it his second season, that first that first match day of the season? Um, but as you guys mentioned with Napoli kind of fading, I think that's probably our best bet to get into the Champions League. I don't know if you guys feel like there's a team that we're more likely to catch up on, but with the way it goes with Spalletti and how they are with injuries, I think that's probably our best bet to get back in the top four. Yeah, it seems Napoli is the best bet. And before we start moving on to the questions that the listeners got into, I will throw in uh, quite satisfying. Lazio is now ninth on 25 points, only three with three behind Roma, but uh, behind Empoli now on 26. So uh, former Roma, you know, interim manager Aurelio Andreazzoli uh, doing quite the job with Empoli um, after taking over. So uh, we have some listener questions. we got a bunch of questions. We're not going to be hyper-focused on the Spezia match. I actually missed the match at, for work. Uh, I know Brandon kind of had to half-watch it for work. Jimmy got to watch it. I know it wasn't the most excited match from what I saw in the comments and things like that. So we're going to look a little bit in a more broad picture and then focus a little bit on the weekend, uh, that big match that Brandon has mentioned a couple times already. So we're going to split the episode into some sections. First, we'll talk about some on-the-pitch topics that you guys got into us. Uh, some a couple of Mercato-based questions, a couple of Mourinho questions, which are always, uh, you know, in there these days more than any other manager we've had. And then we'll look ahead to the weekend. So to get started with the on-the-pitch questions, uh, we have one from Andy Lake Sports, a frequent uh, listener and someone who likes to throw some questions at us. He said, with two games in the books, what is everyone's thoughts on the pairing of Tammy and Borja up top? Any chances Borja continues to get more minutes and maybe sticks around beyond January? Yeah, I think um, I, I, I like the pairing. I think Mourinho also has become becoming a fan of it, as he's mentioned in his press conferences a few times. He's liked the, the strides that Borja has made in the last few weeks, especially. Um, and I think they complement each other pretty well. I know, you know, again, one of the plot points of the match against Spezia was failing to convert our chances. But the attack does look fluid in spurts with both of them up top. I know, you know, that's the case with um, the other options we have too, paired again, paired alongside Tammy. So maybe that's more a product of Tammy than anything, but I think Borja scoring as many goals as he did last season, um, showing some flashes of it this season so far, I think it's, it's a good pairing to keep going with for now. Yeah. And I would just add to that. I think that this is going to show further that a lot of those exiled players post photo have been getting chances again. That doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be sticking around post-January. I'm, I'm personally pretty convinced that Tiago Pinto is going to be trying to push away uh, Amadou Diawara and Gonzalo Villar at the very least in January. But players like Borja Mayoral certainly have something to offer. Players like Max Kambula certainly have something to offer. And I think that to a certain extent, those players did need a little bit of pushing to find a new gear uh and i think we've been seeing that especially with kumbola over recent weeks I, I think that that's kind of an undersung topic that especially as Mourinho shifted to a three at the back position bringing in kumbola whether as a starter or as a sub has been proving pretty good um like i think he's looked quite good not necessarily as like the 30 million euro man that we bought him as at you know age 19 but he's still looking like someone who can become a consistent starter for a Champions League level club, which is pretty good. And I think that he'll hopefully stay around in the long term. Yeah, and I'll just throw in with the uh, the striker pairing. Mourinho even mentioned in his pre-match press conference for the the um, match on Monday against Spezia that, you know, Borja offers something different than Shimordov because uh, he was asked a question whether Abraham has to change his game a bit to play with Borja. And he said, you know, Borja is more of a box presence than, than uh, Shemordov, who likes to move a lot. And then, you know, you throw in Zaniolo, who's probably a likely candidate to start on Saturday to fill that 
second striker role. So it gives Mourinho different options, different looks against different clubs, depending on how Roma wants to play. You know, maybe if you're in a match where you can control more possession and you need a, a striker who can uh, score against a tight defense in the box, maybe Borja is the better option. If you're playing on the counter on the break, maybe you want Zaniolo or Shimordov playing there so you can run at a, a defense that's tracking back. So definitely gives us some options. And, and I would be... I would be a bit surprised if the loan gets cut short now that he's starting to get some minutes. If Mourinho does find value, I think he will stick around till the end of his loan in June and then, you know, handle things from there. Uh, speaking of the defense, which Jim mentioned Kambula a bit, we have a couple of questions about the defense. The first uh, asks, the team is not as good defensively when Smalling is not anchoring the middle of the defense. With Smalling's injury history, we know we can't rely on him to play significant minutes every match. So is center back now priority is or, or is Kambula the answer? And to piggyback off that, with musical chairs being played in the back three every match, which combination is best going forward? And would that trio uh, benefit the squad more versus changing it up based on the opponent? So uh, what do you guys think about that? Yeah, first off, I think it's important to remember, I kind of hinted at this already while talking about Kumbula, but he's still the only players in the senior team who are younger than him are Brian Reynolds, who has not seen the pitch in a long time. And uh, Ricardo Calafiori, who is also, you know, not seeing the pitch a huge amount of the time. So I think that we have a tendency at the club to apply a huge amount of pressure to young players. Um, I think we're probably already going to see that soon with uh, Felix Afinagian, too. Uh, but from what I've seen from Kumbula, he looks quite promising for a 21-year-old center back in the back three in particular. Um, I, th- I hope that Smalling is able to play more as the season progresses he's been looking quite good over the past couple matches that he's played um but at the same time i think that it would probably be best for kumbula if he's able to kind of have a rotational position with smalling so that maybe every other match or on some less significant matches he's able to rack up the minutes just so that he can you know really get some mileage on his tires and become a player on the level of Ibanez or Mancini I think that he can do that in his own particular style but expecting him to be you know like a starting quality center back at age barely 21 is a little unrealistic because we all know that defenders take a lot longer to mature a lot of the time than uh, attacking players yeah I agree with Jimmy I say play the kids um I guess kid in this case if we're just talking about Kambula but we can't really rely on Chris Smalling um, to stay healthy as we've seen over the years, well, especially in recent memory. Um, and I think, you know, the, the back three of Kambula, Mancini, and Ibanez, they're more than capable against the bottom level teams of Serie A and the, middle, the mid-table teams as well. And it's worth noting that, you know, even with Smalling on the pitch, we still got obliterated 3-0 by Inter. So I think the question comes down more like are you comfortable with that back three against the lower level sides because still there's clear there's clearly a gap between Roma and the top sides in the league I know the table um, everybody's kind of bunched together but when we are actually playing these games you can clearly see the difference in level so I think you know with that in mind we might as well just keep playing the kids even when Smalling's healthy I think Mourinho will probably have him in their before Kambula, but I think just for the sake of that chemistry developing, especially if you intend to keep Kambula, it's worth playing them more frequently together, despite even if Smalling is healthy. Yeah, I think there's got to be some rotation, especially with the congested schedule. In a match like Saturday, if Smalling's fit, I think Smalling has to play. I think with a, a striker like Zapata, you want a Smalling on the pitch. He does so much for the side, but yeah, the injuries can be an issue, but also long-term, I don't know if the back three sticks around once uh, you know, Spinazzola's back and Pellegrini's back and El Shirari's back. And if Roma can stay healthy, I think ideally Mourinho probably switches uh, back to a back four and gets more of his creative players on the field up front. So I think there's plenty of cover I, at, at this point. I don't see Roma making a move for a center back. The money's not there to make the move for a center back at this point, uh, which is something we've talked about before. So for Roma to uh, address that uh, in January might not bode well for other positions of need, like defensive midfielder and, and, uh, right back. It might, it might signal that they were, weren't able to address those positions. So now let's stick to a back three because we don't have enough cover at right back. We don't have enough cover at uh, defensive mid and we got to kind of stack the defensive line a bit. I don't know. Um, but I, I would go with Mancini 
Smalling and Ibanez personally in the bigger matches. But I do want to see Kambula play plenty. And you really need to develop him. Uh, like Jimmy said, he's one of the youngest players on the side. You want to play him. You got to got to build him up a bit. And uh, who's better to build up a center back than Mourinho from what we've seen uh, his teams do in the past? Our next question comes from Pietro Rizzo, uh, another frequent uh, questioner. And he asked if there are any updates on El Shirari, Pellegrini, and Perez coming back. He said, we really need the legs. Also, how did you find Vina's performance on Monday? I'm glad to have him back. He almost scored and provided much attacking pressure. Um, on the injury front, I'll just throw that part in before I go to the guys. I, the last I saw on Pellegrini, El Shari, and, and Perez is uh, January at the earliest, post-Christmas break, post-New Year's, um, which is a busy part of the schedule because Milan and Juve loom real real quick. They're right on the horizon after New Year's. Uh, good news, though, Brendan posted a piece today on the site. Uh, Ibania, Smalling, and Zaniolo all look cleared to play on Saturday, so we do get that boost. So what do you guys make of Vina? So, you know, you mentioned that I kind of had to watch the game in passing, but from what I saw, you know, he, he definitely passed the eye test in terms of what I was looking for from him. And post-match leading up until today, you know, on Twitter, the a lot of people were encouraged with how he was performing. So that speaks to how, you know, how, how decently he did, especially in the context of Roma Twitter when it's often gloom and doom, um, which is good because Spinozzolo is rumored to not be back until February. So that's another month and a half, probably two months of needing cover in that left back position. And if Vigna can maintain this form for at least a month and a half, two months, then we'll take it every time. Yeah, and I mean, we can definitely quibble about whether it was smart to bring in Vigna as kind of the Spinazzolo replacement when it was obvious that after that moving from Brazil, there was going to be some time needed to adjust to the new league. Like some people probably would have wanted to bring in a even younger, but more battle tested in terms of Serie A left back um, as kind of the Spinazzolo replacement. But I think what we're seeing now in the past couple of weeks is, you know, that Vini has been getting a lot of minutes, um, both due to, you know, some injury issues for Ricardo Calafiori, but also just because it seems like Mourinho trusts him. And as a result, we're seeing him kind of get more bled into the side, more understanding of how Italian football works and also playing a more attacking role. I've noticed that particularly in the most recent match, he was playing a more Spinazzola-esque role really kind of acting as a playmaker in a way that I don't think he did as well to start the season. So I would say that, you know, I'm pretty happy with how he's been doing in the past couple of weeks. And I'm excited that this is what we're getting after a couple months of him in Italy, because anyone who expected him to be like team of the season level left back by within his first couple months in a new continent was kind of kidding themselves. But if this is like the real Vigna that we're seeing, that's pretty exciting. Yeah, I only got to see the highlights, but he did pop up in the Paramount Extended Highlights a couple times. I know even, uh, even Providell made a really good save on him. He was inches away from scoring a goal, which is encouraging. Uh, like Jim said, more uh, you know in the attacking phase, especially now playing as more of a left wing back, he gets a little more freedom going forward and, and looked pretty good doing that. So uh, if the timetable that Brandon read recently as, as mid-February for Spinazzola is true, I expect to see a lot of Vina, whether it's as a left wing back or a left a true left back if Marino does shift back to a back four when we get some other guys back uh he's going to be important and he's starting to find his feet a bit like Jim said and you know it takes time for these guys that are coming from South America to transition and I'll just throw in that you know if he's starting for the Uruguayan national team at left back a team that plays pretty good defensive football uh he's got to be pretty decent I know it's not the biggest nation or the you know it's not like he's starting for Brazil or one of these countries but he's a quality player and I think we're starting to see those qualities and he's still a player with plenty of room to grow like we mentioned earlier in the year and um Calafiori, not a lot of playing time, I think, for him if they stick with the back three. He doesn't really fit the wing back role as well as Vina and Spinazzolo. So I'm wondering if he could even be up for a loan come January just to get him some minutes. We'll see. Um, another player who, you know, maybe has not impressed some, some Romanisti as much as they would have hoped is a guy coming back from long-term injury, Nicolo Zaniolo. Uh, James Salvaggio asked, what would be your strategy to get Zaniolo going to score more goals? Because I think he's just got the two goals in the conference league, none in Serie A so far. So what do you guys, how would you go about it if you're Mourinho? I mean, that's the million dollar question, right? Like if I knew the answer to that, I probably would be at least an assistant coach for Roma. But uh, I would say that one of the things that really just needs to happen is uh, the luck needs to change and you can't really 
coach that. Uh, similar to Tammy Abraham hitting the post a lot of the time, sometimes it just really seems like Zaniolo is very unlucky when it comes to shots going just over or, you know, getting fouled a bit too hard to be able to continue his run. The second thing is not to, you know, beat a dead horse, but the refing on Zaniolo this season has been atrocious. I don't know when that's going to change, but if, if, you want, if we want him to score more goals, it's going to have to change at some point. Um, and third, I would say that a lot of this also probably comes down to needing more time to get used to playing with a Tammy Abraham player up front versus a Evan Jaco player up front. I mean, they, they play very, in my opinion, different styles of attacking football, both equally great. We can see how well Jaco is doing at Inter for indicator that, you know, he still had the goods, but Abraham is a different type of striker to play with. And I think that for a young player who was able to explode on the scene with a, you know, not necessarily as involved uh, striker. Jaco was more conservative of a striker, I would say, compared to Abraham. And to see, to work with a totally new style of striker has to be a challenging change of plans for him. And so I think that hopefully, just like we'll see, we've been seeing Vina improve over the past couple months, I think we'll, we'll see Zaniolo, if he gets better refereeing, be able to work better with Abraham over time, or at least that's the hope. Yeah, I, I agree with Jimmy. I think, you know, if, if we had the answer to this question, we would be on the touchline with Mourinho running up and down, yelling at the ref throughout the match. But, um, and I agree with his other points as well. I think for me, it also comes down to the question whether or not you let him play through it or you give him a break, allow him to recalibrate a little bit. Because I agree that, you know, he's it's 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 partially down to luck. Like he's right there at uh in the in the intermatch, he you know he shot that that rocket right into the side netting that we all thought went in and was just missed it. And I think that really would have flipped the script for him in terms of the narrative surrounding his goal drought. So having but having said that, he also is frequently I want to say frequently, but it, lately I feel like he is coming out of matches because of injury concerns, and a lot of that has been muscle fatigue. Um, and I think also on a psychological level, he's just not able to give 100% not have his injuries in the back of his head. So I think when it comes down to getting him out of this funk, maybe a spell on the sidelines would allow him to recalibrate. I'm of the belief that you just let him play through it. I think at a point, it's probably not worth doing so if the results don't change. But he's also been playing generally well, um, which is why we think that he's right there and so close to turning it around. So that's why I think, you know, just just let him play through it. But it's it's an interesting dynamic whether you 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 give him a rest, allow him to recalibrate, or you let this young player who thoroughly enjoys running at the at the defense and thrives in those scenarios, whether you let him to continue to do that, even in the if in the back of his head he has this re-injury risk in his mind. Yeah, I think you have to let him play through it. I agree. I think in some ways the yellow card suspension uh, is a little bit of a blessing for him that it came in this match against Spezia because it means he didn't have to play all week uh, heading into Atalanta. I, I know he had that injury scare against uh, Sofia. So luckily that substitute appearance, why he even came into that match, I have no idea. Luckily it turned into nothing and he's he's fit for Saturday, but I think you play him through it. I think in a match like Saturday could be a match where he gets to run at that defense because, you know, Atalanta is going to be attacking, you know, it's going to be back and forth. It tends to be when Roma plays Atalanta. I mean, we've seen a couple three threes in recent years. That could be the kind of match where him and Abraham can really just have a go at it and have fun. And and hopefully maybe he can find the goal. I thought he scored last Saturday against Inter as well. The announcer here in the States screamed like he scored a goal, got me a little hyped. And then I had to, you know, say, oh man, he didn't score. Would have been nice even in a, in a three, nothing to see him get that goal. Um, you know, speaking of Inter, that was a loss. So Jody asks, we have suffered seven losses so far in Serie A, which is, I believe, now 17 matches, which is a significant number at this point in the season, he says. But we're also second in terms of teams with most clean sheets in Serie A, which doesn't sound right to Jody. And I, I agree. In some ways, that seems a little bit uh, strange. A team with the second most clean sheets has seven losses already. So what do you think this says about Roma's Serie A season so far, guys? I think it sums up the... Roma experience more or less, uh, you know, highest of highs, lowest of lows sort of thing. Um, you know, the season overall has been a little bit of a middle ground there, but 
Mourinho himself has talked about it in press conferences where you know we're not we're not playing for the draw and that's that's kind of representative in the standings where we have a single draw on the season against at that time top of the table Napoli but I agree it doesn't sound right and I don't know what the solution is to that I think at some point the results will balance out one way or the other we'll see a little more, more draws um snatch a draw in the in the clutches of defeat things like that but I guess it really speaks to the all or nothing approach sometimes it feels like this team is taking um which as a fan it's fun to 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 watch it play out in front of you but in terms of the standings overall sometimes it doesn't really work out to your benefit yeah I would also just point out that uh looking at the table right now uh every club other than the top four has at least five losses so Juventus have five um and every other club between you know fifth place and 13th place has either six or seven losses so as I said before I think that there's a kind of a scrum in the even medium top to the middle of the pack right this season which is good for Roma in the sense that no, there aren't too many clubs that have separated themselves from the top. I would say that at this point, Inter and Milan both look harder to catch than, say, the Atalanta, Napoli, or Fiorentina. Uh, but this is good for Roma in the sense that despite having an underwhelming season and despite having a lot of issues with refereeing, whether that's you know on individual players or in matches, I think we've had what three referees get get uh, reprimanded after refereeing Roma in Serie A so far this season, which is pretty unheard of. Um, despite that, we're still, you know, in the thick of it, in a Europa League slot, doing pretty well. So I would say that if certain things start going our way more, which, you know, just based off of the law of averages, thing, luck has to turn around a little bit at some point, uh, that could really put Roma long-term in a pretty good spot. Yeah, and it was funny if you saw the reply on Twitter from uh, one of one of the other users, ASR. Um, he, he actually put in the old Gattuso meme where Gattuso was in a press conference and he was saying, uh, you know, sometimes good, sometimes shit, and that was his pretty much summed up what uh, Jody was asking. And, and it's true that you know Roma will have those matches where they can play a great defensive game, keep the ball at the back of the net, and then you have a, a Venezia match where they give up three to Venezia, um, you know, three to Inter, a little less surprising, but. They've only given up 19 goals in 17 matches, which is not bad. It's one of the better records in the league. Only Napoli, Inter, uh, and Juventus have given up less goals at 13, 15, and 17. So Roma's right there in terms of one of the better defenses in the league. It's uh, the goal scoring has let them down so far. We've talked about that. You know, their XG is they're four under their expected goals, four more goals, and Roma might have a couple more wins under their belt, or at least a couple draws and a couple more points in the table. Um, you know, I look at, you know, Roma 26 scored 19 conceded is a plus seven it's the sixth best in the league and they're sitting in sixth place so it kind of suits where they're sitting in the table um every team that's better in the goal differential is ahead of them in the table but you know you look at some of the teams around them would would i want to score 33 goals like latio and concede 32 no i'd rather have you know a few less goals scored and only conceded 19 um juve has conceded a couple less but they've only scored 23 and they're pretty damn boring to watch these days so you know it's going to be part of the growing pains i think if tammy and um Zaniolo really start finding their stride and some of these guys start scoring goals this defense will look even better when roma gets a couple more wins under their belt in like these two nothing situations or a two one situation rather than you know getting shut out or really struggling to score i think that's where we'll start to see a difference and uh, things will start to look a little bit better but like jim said a lot of teams have between six and eight losses that are around us. So it, it's indicative of the league this year, I'd say, in terms of a lot of teams, uh, you know, sharing the spoils and dropping games uh, that you wouldn't expect them to lose. So uh, a couple of quick uh, Mercato related questions. So um, these are both from Adam Fish. He said transfer market versus real world value of the guys rotting on the vine. Could Roma get 15 million for DOR or VR? We always seem to pay above market rate and sell below. Is Mourinho's doghouse sapping resale value of those guys? That's something I've uh, questioned too recently. And then if Pinto was to sell a starter, who is it? I think Mourinho would easily part with Carzor, but would be uh, not sad to sell for two either. Uh, what do you guys think of, first of all, the, the, the value of guys like DOR and VR kind of rotting on the bench? And then which starter do you think would be most easily sacrificed? 
Yeah, I mean, if Juventus has taught us anything over the past couple of seasons, it's that uh, transfer value is just what another club says it is. So I'm not 100% sure that uh, transfer markets valuations of uh, DOR and VR are accurate, uh, either in a higher way or a lower way. I think that, you know, let's say Sevilla let's, um, decides to come in and bring, him, bring in VR like they've been rumored to want to do, or Atletico Madrid. Um, they might think of a $15 million price point as a bit of a, you know, buy low, sell high situation. And I wouldn't blame them. Uh, I also think that if we're put stuck in a position where we have to sell one of them to a smaller Serie A side, then that immediately, you know, decreases their potential transfer value. So I guess it just really depends on what player uh, we're going, what club we're going to be able to link to what player. As for, you know, selling a starter, there's no way we can sell Karsdorp. I mean, I, I, I'm not a Karsdorp fan, but I think that there's just no way that we can sell Karsdorp right now. Um, and honestly, the same is true of Vertu. Um, I, one of the things that Mourinho has complained about so far this season is that he really doesn't have the depth to be thinking that way. Like, we, we have the starters we have. And, uh, you know, we can't really do too much with that starting 11 until we develop more depth. So we've got to invest before we can cut anybody loose. Uh, if I had to pick one guy who I guess might be more sellable, um, you know, if a big money offer came in for Rodri Banyas, uh, and that's been rumored, Mercado after Mercado, that, you know, everyone from Barca to Real Madrid to, you know, Manchester United is going to want to drop 50 million euros or more on him. If that type of offer comes in, I could see us going for it because we've got Mancini and Combola already. We've got Smalling. We've got a decent amount of depth outside of the Primavera even for center back. So I could see that being a place where we sell if we really need to sell. If we lose one more promising young center back in the market, I will lose my mind after, <laughs> what is it, four or five guys now that have been in the in the squad and you know have looked great and then we sell them for X amount of money. But to the question itself, you know, if if if, a, if any club in the world offered 15 million for Diawara, I would fly to Rome personally to help um, speed that <laughs> speed that transaction along. I think I think that is a, a valid consideration for players whose transfer value has taken a little bit of a hit now that Mourinho has been here. Um, as for VR. He's another one where I I can see that his his value has dipped a little bit. I think probably last year at this time, the way he was playing, I think you probably could have got 20, 25 million for him easily, especially if one of the Premier League teams came calling. Um, I think you probably could get close to that still for VR Diawara. I don't, I'd be surprised if, if he did end up leaving, if we got more than 10 for him. Um, but as to the second question, I don't, I feel like, you know, to sell a starter, you have to have somebody ready to come in and slide, slot in that place. And I don't think, as Jimmy was referring to, neither Karsdorp or, or Veritu are players that you can, you can get rid of, um, especially without a replacement ready to slot in. I think in terms of, if we're just looking at the team replaceable starters, Mkhitaryan, I would guess um you know just because he's a little bit older right now he's a very high quality player especially in the context of the squad but given his age and the amount of miles under his legs I think he definitely would be the one that I would pick if I were Pinto and you had to get rid of one yeah I I agree in the sense that I think DOR and VR would be a bit of a sell low kind of scenario now um VR we didn't pay much money for so almost anything Roma sells him for will be a, a plus Valenza but not as much as you would have hoped based on what he did last season uh you almost have to hope that you know like Jim mentioned the the, the transfers you know it's kind of what the team values him at it's kind of beauty is, is in the eye of the beholder and if one of these Spanish clubs or a couple of Spanish clubs come calling maybe you could drive the price up a little bit um Diwara, who knows there hasn't been as, as many links for him with other sides and in terms of selling a starter it would be very difficult to sell a starter right now. I don't think Roma's in the position to sell a starter, like Brandon said, because you need an immediate replacement. I think I have to agree that if someone had to go at this point, it'd be Mkhitaryan just because of age and position is most easily replaceable in terms of our depth and our squad. Um, but come the summer, I could see Vertu being a player that's expendable. He doesn't 
necessarily fit Mourinho's midfield perfectly the way he, you know, maybe did Fonseca's or EDF. So he could be someone in, in the summer or Karsdorp, maybe if they look at a different profile right back. But I think right now uh, I don't see any starters moving. So we'll move on now to a quick uh, commercial break. And then we're going to get in a couple Mourinho questions and some Atalanta look ahead. All right. And we're back. So a uh, couple Mourinho related questions for you guys, uh, a couple from AS Roma fan six. And uh, the first one, he, you know, prefaced his question by saying for the record, I'm a Mourinho fan. One week Mourinho loves Roma and the project the next week, it's something different. His comments are confusing at times. He has also called out certain players by name. Do you think this is having an impact on the team and the locker room? Brandon, I'll go to you first because I know you've been doing a lot of his press conference work. Yeah, I, that, that's exactly what came to mind as I was reading this question is that, you know, uh, recapping some of his press conferences and reading through them through the transcripts that are posted on the Roma website, I'm often reading them and thinking this man just completely pivoted from, you know, what he was saying from the previous press conference or even within the press conferences themselves. So I think, I, I don't know. I feel like I kind of hope that the, that the contradictory nature of some of his press conferences have an effect on the team. Otherwise I feel like, if it just if they just you know brushed it aside they they'd be looking at Mourinho as a crazy old man uh, um just coming up on the podium and contradicting himself left and right so you know I think to an extent it probably does definitely more so the fringe players than the starters I think the starters know from game to game how Mourinho feels about them but when you're a fringe player on the sidelines Reynolds for example who Mourinho loves to drag through the mud it seems like um I think those players, his comments have an effect on, even though he, um, you know, from one part press conference to the next, he'll build them up. He still won't play them often. So I think with that in mind, that probably definitely affects them. Um, but, you know, I could be completely wrong. And this is, this could be me just covering my ass for all the Mourinho fans out there to not come after me, but I think he also, um, you know, he could be just, uh, playing a, a role in front of the media and in the locker room, creating that siege mentality that he's famous for. So we don't really know because we're not in the locker room, but if I had to guess, it definitely would, it should be impacting some of the French players. Yeah. I mean, I personally hope that you know Mourinho is thinking through what he's saying because I, I don't know it seems like there's some pretty easy ways to interpret how he approaches you know losses draws wins um a lot of the times it seems like when there's a win against a small side Mourinho tries to you know temper expectations tries to say things like you know I'm still not happy with how we handled xyz and when we have losses he generally goes out and says you know i and disappointed, but this, there were positives here, there, and there, um, which is what I kind of want out of a manager speaking to the press. I think that he also knows that, you know, he is probably one of the hottest topics in the footballing world period, like, and he will be forever. Uh, so I think he's got an adversarial relationship with the press in part because he recognizes that the press wants to have an adversarial relationship with him because they know it drives clicks. Um, I would imagine that he's probably talked to the team as a whole about, you know, maybe separating what he says to the press from what he says in the locker room. And I would be very curious to see what the differences are between those two things. Um, yeah. And I, I, I agree that maybe it might affect the fringe players a little more, especially the ones who, you know, have been frozen out of the team at times. But at the same time, I think that that's arguably probably the point of why he makes comments like that, right? Like, I mean, if Brian Reynolds isn't ready uh, and he thinks that he could be, uh, maybe saying things like, you know, my only backup is this young kid. Uh, well, maybe that's his, that should be viewed as an incentive by Reynolds to, you know, pick up his training performances and show that he's worthy of being the backup right now. Um, I think that a lot of the times these comments don't read to me as just, you know, like, Mourinho going to like the Apollo theater and doing like insult comedy, but more just like him trying to get a reaction out of some players. And sometimes it seems like that works. Like I, he, he made some pretty negative comments about some of these players who were 
out of the lineup for a while. Like he was saying some things about Borja Mayoral and Max Kambula that weren't particularly nice. Same with Diora. And believe me, I didn't think that Diora had a great performance um, this past weekend, but he had an adequate one for the win. And Kumbula and Mayoral have come back and, you know, look promising here and there. So I guess I would say that just in general, I think that there is some rhyme and reason to what he says. I wouldn't be too worried about him like destroying the locker room by saying, I'd like to have a better right back backup than the nearly nine, nearly 21 year old American who has only really played for an MLS team before. Yeah. I think Mourinho is just the master of mind games. I think he knows exactly what he's doing. He knows how to manipulate the press. Some of the answers are, are very entertaining the way he answers some of the questions about lineups, about personnel, about, about everything really. So I, I think like Brandon said, I think the, the starters know their role. I think the, the, the reserves, you know, maybe some of it, like Jim said is, you know, Reynolds, you're the only right back I have do something about it, you know, show me something in training. So I think he's, I think the players seem very complimentary of him. You know, you got a guy like Derosi coming out this week. I saw comments like, I wish I played for Mourinho in my career, things like that, all these former players. So I, I think he's he's working the, the room a bit. I'm sure behind closed doors, he might even be saying different things to his players and and really trying to motivate them in different ways. So I'm not too concerned about it, uh, especially because we've seen a lot of those guys who are on the, the outside looking and getting playing time again. So I, I think it's a lot of his um you know psychological you know building up of players that he does and and you know i'm sure some of them maybe he, he's not happy with them he doesn't want them there like a vr and you know if he breaks vr spirit a bit so be it see you later we'll get somebody else who fits fits the team better and can do what i need of them uh so speaking of Mourinho, it's from a fan six followed up by asking uh we're approaching the end of the first part of the season we're now two matches away from the midpoint what grade would you give Mourinho at this point in the season i guess i'd, I'd give him a b i think uh, just because as he's made aware, he's made us aware throughout the um, season, you know, he's not working with a fully balanced squad in the same way most of the other clubs that were around in the table are. Um, with the exception of Fiorentina, I would say, uh, you know, Napoli, Atalanta, Milan, Inter have, have squads that not only are kind of, you know, have two, two layers of depth at most positions, but also have players that have been around that squad for a very long time, you know, that they've built up a rapport as a club. And I think that Roma is still working on that in part because it is a pretty young side out of, like we've said this before, out of, outside of Mkhitaryan, this is an incredible, and Rui Patricio, I guess, this is an incredibly young side. So I'm pretty happy with sixth place uh, going into, you know, the winter break. I think that that's, you know, a promising place to be, particularly with how tight most of the table is so far this season. Um, do I think some things could be better? Yeah. Um, it would, would have been nice not to lose to Bodo in such an embarrassing fashion. Uh, and it would be nice to, you know, be, be able to say to Mourinho, well, we know that you don't have the most depth in the world, but you're a master um, coach, right? You should be able to get something out of players like Gonzalo VR. Um, so I wish he was able to get more usage out of some of these players, but at the same time, just trying to be objective about it. I can't be too upset. Yeah. Um, I, I would probably go with the B as well. Uh, you know, I think it's a project other teams need, you know, look at Milan. It took them at least three, four seasons to get where they are now. I, I think Mourinho had a B he's, he's building something. He seems to be more invested in this project than he might've you know, been at other clubs where he burned out real quick, like Tottenham and United. And I think the Friedkins will be a bit more patient. Um, is it disappointing a little bit to be in sixth? Yes. But at the same time, we're within touching distance of Napoli with the way they've been slipping up. And, you know, Champions League is not the window yet. And I think even a Europa League finish at it in the right style might even be considered somewhat of a success this season based on the fact that this is a three-year project. Um, so I'm, I'm going to go with a B. Well, I can't go straight too far away from you guys because then I'm really going to hear it. But I'll I'll, get, I'll give Mourinho a B minus, and with the reason being, you know, we've talked at length about the disparity in talent between Roma and the top top sides in the league. Um, but at the same time, he was brought in to to fix that. Um, you know, with Fonseca, we were cleaning up against the smaller teams and just couldn't just couldn't hack it against the big boys. And that's partially why you choose to bring Mourinho in instead of bringing back Fonseca. 
and we have, you know, we drew Napoli, but aside from that, it's been rough sledding against these big boys. And um, so, you know, you have to, you have to knock him a little bit for that. And, but I think at the same time with that talent gap in mind is fifth or sixth much, you know, is, is that our ceiling? So, you know, he's doing the best he can with what he has at his disposal. Um, I, I probably would have gone a full B with you guys, but I, you know, the, the Venezia, Verona and Bologna result, um, those are games you have to win, especially when you're struggling against a big team. So I think on that note, that's probably why I'm going to be minus rather than the B. Yeah, fair enough. Um, I, I was definitely between a B and a B minus. So, you know, that grade could certainly jump with a couple big wins in, in the four matches we have coming up pre and post uh, Christmas break. So uh, last question of Mourinho comes from it's me, JVK. He asks, what's the difference between Spurs and Manchester United fans and Roma fans? And do you think that this is a match made in heaven as fans club and Mourinho need each other for a fresh start? I don't know that it's a match made in heaven. I think it's a good union for the time being. Um, knowing Mourinho and the aspirations that he has, even if he does well here, I wouldn't be surprised for him angling for a move to a bigger club at the end of this three-year cycle. Maybe he falls in love with the team and the city and stays beyond that. But the essence of Mourinho is competing for big titles and that's champions league. And the goal is to get us back to the champions league. But I think if he's able to do so, one of the big teams will come calling. Should there be a vacancy in, on one of their, on one of those clubs. And I think he'd be more inclined to take it than stick around. But that is just me going off of the history of Mourinho in terms of what goals he has for himself. Um, in terms of the difference between Roma fans and you know, Spurs, Man U fans, where they, they soured on him pretty quickly. I think that's a product of the history of those clubs. You know, with, with Man U, you had Fergie there for however long. And before Mourinho, Spurs had Pochettino, where, you know, I know, I know Spurs doesn't have as much history as Man U does, but they weren't too far removed from a Champions League final when they got rid of Pochettino, finishing runner-up in the Premier League over and over again so and in both scenarios Mourinho is brought in to push them over the hump and although Mourinho won titles is at Man U it still wasn't good enough for that fan base who are accustomed to challenging for Champions League titles Premier League titles whereas at Roma Mourinho is probably the most I'm, I'm sure some people will argue maybe not the best coach that Roma have had the last 20 years um, since Capello, but certainly the one with the most notoriety. So I think that it just comes, it's just a matter of the different histories and expectations of the respective fan bases. Yeah, I, I think that a lot of it is that Tottenham, Tottenham is the closest analog to Roma in the Premier League, if you, if you want my two cents. But at the same time, I think that Tottenham's expectations are even more absurd than Roma's. Um, I think that, uh, you know, they've actually won less <laughs> than, than the Giallo Rossi have in the past uh, several decades, uh, but they expect more. Uh, so I think that's part of it. Um, and I think Roma fans, you know, are kind of hardened at this point. While they still have high expectations, I don't think that they were expecting anyone to come in and win the Scudetto from year one which I think that a lot of people when, you know, Spurs in particular hired Mourinho were expecting, you know, a, a win of the Premier League in year one or year two. Uh, and Roma fans are not expecting that. So I think that having appropriate expectations for the club is always going to be helpful when bringing in any new manager. Uh, I would also just say that uh, Roma fans like kind of temperamental people. Uh, we forget this because, you know, towards the end of his career, Totti was a little bit less of a hothead, but he was a bit of a hothead for most of his prime. Uh, De Rossi was always a bit of a hothead. Uh, I, I think that Roma likes having personalities around it. And Mourinho is probably the biggest non-player personality uh, out there in international football right now. So I think that there's a lot of reasons why Roma and Mourinho work. Uh, I don't know if I'd call it a match made in heaven, 
just because I agree with Brandon that, you know, I, my bet is that at some point Real Madrid will come calling if he does well enough in Rome uh, and he'll probably go back there. Probably wants to coach Mbappe and get a treble again. Uh, so, you know, uh, I don't think it's going to last forever, but I think it'll be pretty good for the time that it lasts. Yeah. I won't add too much more, but I, I think I agree. It's a matter of expectations. Those clubs maybe expect more right away than Roma is. And you look at the stadium, you know, even when Roma had that rough match against Inter, the next match on a Monday night against Betsy, I think there was 33,000 plus people there. Uh, you know, I think part of the, the boom in fans is because people were away from the stadiums for so long with COVID. But I also think it's a big Mourinho effect. The fans are turning out, might not be a match made in heaven in the long run. We'll see. Uh, but I think that Roma is so hungry for success. I think the, the fans realize Mourinho is probably the best shot they have right now at uh, making a run at a Scudetto in the state they're in maybe in the next couple of years. So we'll see. Hopefully it works out. Um, but in the, in the near term, we have to look ahead to Saturday. Uh, Saturday, 9 a.m. Eastern here on the East Coast of the United States, uh, 3 o'clock in the afternoon in Italy. It's Roma traveling to Bergamo to face Atalanta. Uh, Brandon already mentioned it. Huge match for Roma, who still, even under Mourinho after the Fonseca troubles, hasn't beaten a top side. Um, so Pietro Rizzo asked, do you think we stand a chance against Atalanta, knowing that they have been performing so well? They're on a seven-game winning streak. And with so many players out, I don't know if we can stop them. I hope Roma proves me wrong, but I think if we manage a tie, it would be amazing. So what do you guys make of that? I think that there's a chance that we can win. Um, I think that we've got players who can show individual brilliance enough to make this happen. And I think that one thing that we have seen quite a lot is that Mourinho is able to, uh, you know, make the defense work when it needs to work. There are some exceptions to that, the inter game most specifically. But, you know, when we played Napoli, we, we were close to winning that one. And I think that we could see a similar result against Atalanta where uh, the club is able to be very solid defensively and then find that one goal that can be the difference maker. If we're going to win it, I think we're going to win it that way. I wish I was as optimistic as Jimmy. I know he's not, he doesn't sound entirely optimistic, but um, yeah, I think we're going to just get blown out, to be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> I just have seen this story way too many times. And it's, it's so weird because if you told me any one of, Adelano's players were coming to Roma in a transfer, hypothetical transfer. I wouldn't be super excited about any of their players, but somehow the formula that they have just works and they roll over teams. Roma's no exception. And especially with the injuries and the people out that we have, I think it's going to be really tough sledding. I think if we try to play their game open, expansive, back and forth, we'll get ripped to shreds. I think probably our best chance is playing on the counter. But having said that, if we go down a goal early, which so often seems to be the case in these big matches, that's probably all she wrote. Because once we come out of that shell, Atalanta is going to just pick us apart. Um, and maybe this is just me trying to reverse jinx it. But I will be even even a draw. I will be I will be shocked. It's going to be a difficult match. Uh is certainly going to be a big favorites. Uh, I'm sure all the, the major sports book, if you look at the odds, Atalanta is going to be, you know, big time, heavy favorite. Roma is going to be plus money because nobody's going to expect him to go to Bergamo and win. Um, the one reason I think Roma might have a little more of a chance in a match like this than maybe even the one at Juve when Juve was struggling and we got beat one nothing is Atalanta does concede a little bit more. Uh, they can be, you know, hit. And if Roma can maybe catch them on the break before Atalanta goes up, uh, like, like Brandon said, and before they can really then worry more, a little bit more about defending, uh, maybe Roma could get a goal and then maybe it changes the game. Roma so often falls behind in these big matches. We saw it against Lazio. We saw it against Milan. We saw it against Juve. Um, the only match they didn't fall behind was Napoli and they were in that match the whole game. So uh, even Inter, I think 15 minutes in, they're down. So it conditions the whole match. It throws Mourinho's plan a lot of the time out the window. So at the very least, you hope Roma could take it to halftime 0-0 if nobody's going to score. You know, if Roma can't get a goal, at least take it to halftime. And one interesting caveat with Atalanta, you know, because I've been writing the match day previews, Atalanta has the best road record in Europe's big five leagues this year. Uh, I think they've dropped like two points or something. 
uh, on the road. And this one's in Bergamo and they tend not to be as good in Bergamo for some strange reason. I don't know why maybe Roma can use that to play into their favor and at least pull out a draw. I don't know. We'll see because Roma has, you know, literally shit the bed in all these big matches as, as the saying goes. So, um, hopefully, you know, they can, they can find that goal and maybe Tammy gets a goal or maybe it's Zaniolo finds the goal. Maybe he gets out on the break and, you know, I take Zaniolo in the open field against players like Palomino and, uh, uh, Toloy and those guys. I think he could have a good shot at Morale. So hopefully Roma can get those guys in space, give themselves a chance. And maybe for once the finishing will go their way. Maybe it won't be another post. I mean, Abraham had another post on, on Monday. It, they just keep happening. So that's my hope. I agree with Brandon. That's going to be very difficult. Um, I try to be the optimist. I'm going to hope that we don't get blown out of the water. Like he predicts, I can't take another three, nothing loss against the big side. I don't know if I'll be able to record another podcast next week with these guys after another loss. <laughs> we did avoid the inter match a little bit um, because it just gets frustrating after a while. So, you know, we'll see how it goes. I'm certainly not making any predictions. My predictions have all gone to crap this season. Uh, especially in big matches, even my, you know, what I wanted to see in the, the Lazio match was see what Pellegrini does in a big match and he gets a stupid red card the match before. So I'm, I'm zipping my lips in terms of final score or anything like that. I, I know the guys probably don't want to jinx it or maybe Brandon wants to reverse jinx and call like a four nothing Friday Alonso. I don't know. Oh, if we, if no, it's going to be seven, one just <laughs> getting destroyed completely type of match. Oh, that's our favorite score line here. Uh, you know. <laughs> so. Uh, one other question to close. Irish Romanisa threw one even looking further ahead. Uh, uh, he's really looking past the, the winter because he's thinking about big matches. And I guess he's mailing in the Atalanta match too in, in Brandon style because he says, leaving aside p- potential injuries, et cetera, this Juve at home in a few weeks is looking like the best chance we've had to be the top side since Mourinho took over. Fair judgment. I'll throw into this before I go to you guys. Before we play Juve, Roma plays Atalanta this weekend. Sampdoria, which wouldn't be considered a big match right before Christmas. And then right after Christmas on January 6th, with I believe is La Befana in Italy, where they all play. It's kind of like their version of Boxing Day. Roma plays Milan before Juve on that weekend. So if we don't win a big match before Juve, that means we, we, we lose to or drop points to Atalanta and Milan. So I'll throw that out there into context. Yeah, I mean, I would personally say that the Juve that's playing so far this season is not looking like a top side so I, I i think that you know if we're talking about actual top sides we should look at who has been comfortably in the top four all season when we're saying can roma beat a top side and so to me it matters way more if we can beat an inter and milan and atalanta or napoli uh given that i mean i, I guess if we're gonna say juve just gets to be called the top side by default yeah i think that's probably our best chance um they just have not been impressive to me in any way, shape, or form. You know, if they can lose to Minnows, they can definitely lose to us, one would think or hope. Yeah, I think when we win one of these big games, it's going to be the one that we least expect. So, hey, maybe this Saturday, um, at least in my eyes. But, and I agree, you know, Juve is essentially a shell of themselves, at least, you know, the past few years. Um, but uh, doubt them at your own peril because we've we've seen this before the last few years. Actually, they've looked kind of shaky at times, especially when they're playing Roma. And then they eke out a two-one win or a one-nothing win where Roma don't look like they're going to score for two hours. Um, so I think for me, it if we you know Juve could lose all their games leading up to that Roma match, and I still would not be confident that we'll get the three points from them. I think it does have to be a game where we're, you know, counted out perfect opportunity for Mourinho to do his whole seize mentality shtick and steal the three points that way and kind of really get us going. I think we're capable of beating Juve, sure, but I think just the history between the two clubs, it's it's certainly not going to be an easy proposition, even if they are down bad at this time. Yeah, and we saw what happened the first time we get Juve. To me, that was the most frustrating match of the season so far, just because it felt like Roma should have won that match and didn't. I mean, the Venezia match aside, because that's like a minnow, that's a newly promoted team really sucked. But the Juve match sucked because it looked like Roma was poised to win that match. Uh, it wasn't for that early goal and Juve parking the bus in classic Allegri style. I think they would have won. So I think 
on paper, the Juve match on, I think it's the January 9th is the most winnable of the upcoming big matches. But like Brandon said, maybe Roma needs to just be completely counted out and uh, Mourinho can go in the locker room, do his siege mentality thing that he's so good at, and they can find a result against Atalanta this weekend. And that might even catapult them to do better against Milan and Juve. Who knows? It might be, maybe they just need one to get over the hump and then they could be maybe at least more competitive in these big matches and win a few of them. And then, you know, the Champions League race maybe takes a turn in their favor a little bit if they can then beat Napoli later in the season, things like that. So we'll see. I mean, it would certainly be pleasing to watch Gasparini get exasperated on the other sideline. He's kind of a jerk sometimes himself. And I think uh, it would be certainly pleasing to see Mourinho really frustrate the hell out of him. But, but we'll see what happens. And we'll be back next week, hopefully, to discuss at least the very minimum a good Roma performance with something to take out of it even if it's not a win maybe at least a point on the road could be something to build on and uh you know we'll see what what happens from there I don't know if you guys have anything to to leave the listeners with but uh I think uh it's gonna be an interesting weekend for us when we get blown out 7-1 don't come after me guys (laughs) I warned you I tried to warn you (laughs) we've seen that horror show before so people should be conditioned for it you guys are like walking under ladders and uh, crossing black cats with all this 7-1 talk, man. I try not to think about those things ever. You can't just keep on bringing it up. We're just going to get more and more until every single match is a 7-1 loss and we're like relegated to Serie C. It's going to stink. So stop we're, mentioning them. Stop mentioning them. pretty positive. So I think now is a good time to let the negativity come in right around the holidays. Yeah, my optimism uh, is usually there most matches. I'm just trying to go from a different angle, maybe. Maybe if I doubt them, they'll they'll come through for me. (laughs) But we thank you guys all for getting your questions in. If you're not on Twitter, you can always post some questions on the message board on the, uh, you know, the page where we post the episode for the future. You know, the next episode, we can get to it. I I could always look back, you know, prior to setting up our outline if you have something that's, you know, you can't post on Twitter. And for those of you on Twitter, thanks as always for getting those questions in and helping us put together a nice episode. And, uh, you know, Forza Roma, and we hope that on uh, next week we're talking about something good. 